Reading from the New International Version, Mark 1, 1 through to 8. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 14 from verses 1 to 11. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? And that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Well, again, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And um, if you're, uh, I know there is one Muslim person with us today. Welcome, special welcome to you, but welcome to everybody else. The topic of today's sermon is Jesus, Islam and the Gospel. And I want us today to be clear about these things. Now, I think when you look at our world, it can be a fairly confusing place when it comes to religion and many other subjects. 
It's hard to know the truth about many things these days, but I think particularly with religion, we've got politicians and celebrities who will tell us what true religion should look like. We've got TV dramas which will have actors who are Christian or Muslim telling us you know, what we're meant to think. Of course, there's Facebook with its endless memes about religion in various ways, be that Christianity, Islam or whatever it may be from Richard Dawkins. The ABC has its Compass programs which run documentaries teaching us about religion. Sometimes verses from the Bible and the Quran will be quoted in the newspapers and so you may read about them there. And then, of course, in the news, we see the behaviour and the actions of Christians and Muslims and religious people. But I think that for most people, if you ask them, what is it that Christianity teaches or what is it that Islam teaches, most people aren't sure in our culture. And it's not just that it's confusing to know what religion teaches and what Christianity and Islam teach. I think for some people, there's also a fear around this subject People may be fearful of Islam. Some people might even be angry when they hear about religion. When they hear of Islam, they might be angry at it. Other people may want to appease Muslims and say, we mustn't do anything to to offend them. We've got to be very careful not to offend anybody. But I think others hopefully want to know, and hopefully that's where you're at today, that even though there can be conflicting voices around our world saying things about Christianity and Islam, I hope that uh, you're not given over to fear or anger, but you you do want to know. And that's what I'm wanting us to do uh, today, is to be clear on Christianity, Islam and the gospel. I think the main reason why our culture is a little confused about this subject is that Uh, It doesn't know what the Bible teaches anymore and it certainly hasn't taken the time to learn what Islam and the Quran teach. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at today. Now, I'm not claiming that I'm going to make everything clear for us today. That would be a little unrealistic, uh, if not impossible. But what I do want to do is I want us to be clear on how a person is saved in Christianity, that is, how does a person go to heaven or how does a person be with God forever? I want us to see how is a person saved in Christianity and how is a person saved in Islam? And I, I think we can be clear about those, about that topic. I plan to do this by looking at four uh, sections in my talk. So hopefully they'll be behind me there. There they are. Uh, I want us to be clear about Jesus. I want us to be clear about Islam. I want us to look at Muslim leaders and the words of Jesus. And then I want to put forward why I believe Christianity is true. Okay? And I'm going to do this so that you can make a decision. I'm hoping today is something where you'll come away going, I understand this and this is going to change how I think. Let's have a look at the first of these being clear about Jesus. The main text that I'm focusing on today is John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is in a book called John, or the Gospel of Jesus, written by John. 
And John was one of Jesus' disciples. And he uh, wrote a, a gospel account for us. And in the gospel of John, we read Jesus making many statements, like John chapter 14, verse 6. In chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. In chapter 15, uh, ch chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. So Jesus makes many of these I am statements in the Gospel of John. And the one we're particularly looking at today is, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, whenever you're reading a verse of the Bible or of the Quran, it's important to read it in context. And that's what I want us to do now. So where does this famous verse about Jesus being the way, the truth and the life, where does it appear? What is its context? Well, come with me to chapter 14 and look at verse 2 and we'll see the context there. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Okay. Now, what is Jesus speaking about there? He's speaking about going to God and preparing a place for us and then taking us there. Well, he, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about paradise. He's talking about God's kingdom. You, you see, the Bible uses different ways to talk about being with God forever, about being in God's presence forever. As I said, sometimes it's spoken of as heaven, sometimes as paradise, sometimes it's even spoken of as a city. Sometimes it's spoken of as a bride, as a bride and a husband coming together. In this case, Jesus describes being with God as a house with rooms. And that to be with God, you need to have a room in God's house. Do you have a room in God's house? Do you have a room in God's house? If you were to come before God... Would you say, please let me into my room, please? Do you have a room in God's house? Now, I don't want you just to assume that you do. Because people can be uh, quite uh, presumptuous with God. They can assume, well, yeah, God will forgive me. God will give me whatever. We mustn't be presumptuous. Now, I, I want to imagine if you came to my house. Uh, you came to my house for afternoon tea and... My wife and I set before you some, uh, some of our uh, nice food and you were enjoying yourself. And then you just said, uh, thanks for the afternoon tea. I'm just going to go and sleep in one of the beds and live here. Now, that would be a bit presumptuous, wouldn't it? It's one thing for me to give you morning tea. It's another for you just to come and move in to one of the rooms in my house. But that's how some people are with God. They think they've just got this right to come into God's presence and have a room in his house. Jesus says he needs to make a room for you. 
Jesus says he needs to make a room. Now, my children, they know they have a room in my house, don't they? They know they have a room because they saw their dad make the room and paint the room. And they, you know, we, we, I said to them, I'm making this room for you and you're going to be moving in here. And, and they knew they had a room. But I want to say, has a room been made for you? This is what Jesus is saying he's come to do. Jesus is saying he's come to bring you into God's presence. That's the context of the verse. Now, how is it that Jesus can do this? Why is it that Jesus can say he will make a room for you in God's house so that you can be as secure before God as my children are going to bed at night in their own room? How is it that Jesus can do that? Well, that's what this verse, chapter 14, verse 6, is about. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He explains why he can make a room for you. So let's have a look at that now. Jesus says, he is the way. What does he mean when he says, he is the way? Well, what he means there is that on our own, we don't have a way to God. On our own, we are unable to go to God because sin, sin and wrongdoing has corrupted us. And so we no longer have a way to God. Now, there are many people who would say that uh, all religions are the same and that they all lead to God. But while they may say that, there's one thing I know even those people don't say, and that is they don't say that sinning and doing what's wrong is a way to God. They might think all the religions lead to God, but they never say going out doing what's wrong and, and, and sinful, that that's a way to God. They never say that, do they? But have a look at the human race, because sin around us is everywhere. You see, it's in your life, isn't it? You know the right things you should do, and yet you don't do them. You don't do them. And it's not just that sin is in you. It's within our families. In all of our families, we've all got the effects of sin ruining it in some way, don't we? Right? But it's not just in us. It's not just in our families. It's also in our nations, Our nations have sins and crimes in their past. Uh, And basically, every nation you look at will have some sin or some crime in its past that it still carries today in some way. So it's in us, it's in our families, it's in our nations. It's also in science. Some people think science is the way. But so much science is only done according to where the research comes from, sorry, where the money comes from for the research. And even much of the science that we're told is politically motivated. When you get reports and scientific reports, how do you know that that is the whole truth of what science could show? You actually don't. Science is quite selective in the areas and the way that it does its work. It's in our education system. Our education system has abuse within it. It has uh, agendas that it pushes. Sin has corrupted our education system. Sin is in our governments. There is no government in the world that is not free from sin. There are some governments which manage their sinfulness better than others. And in our democratic system where we assume people are going to do what's wrong, we manage to manage our sinfulness better than most. But we're just managing our sinfulness, aren't we? It's not that we don't have it. 
of course, within our sport. Uh, Our sport has got a whole range of abuse and corruption that goes on within our sport, where people uh, within cricket teams, they're paying for money, and within soccer, they're paying for players to to give goals and and penalties and all that type of thing. Our sport is corrupted by sin. Our entertainment industry is particularly corrupted by sin. It it sets agendas and tries to push morals and re-educate society in ways which are just really unhelpful. In fact, they've been proven to be destructive, yet they're really popular and it's what our entertainment industry gives us. And of course, there's corruption even within our church. And uh, I don't need to go through those with you. You see, there's corruption absolutely everywhere, isn't there? Sin has infected every single area of life. There is no way that we on our own can come before God. But you know what? There's one place where there is no sin. There's one place where there's no sin, and that is Jesus. Jesus is that one man who did not sin. Sin is everywhere else. There's no way anywhere else. But there is a way through Jesus because he never sinned. And when he died on the cross, he offered himself up as that perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And this is what he means when he says, I am the way. He's saying, I am that sinless one. I am that one who knows the way to God and I am the one who can bring you to God through the forgiveness of sins that I bring. Now, no prophet has ever said this. What Jesus is saying here is unique to him. He then goes on to say that he is the truth. He is the truth. Now, again, uh, prophets don't speak like this, saying that they are the truth. Prophets are men and women who speak from God God inspires them to speak his words and prophets speak the truth of God. They speak the word of God to us, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying, I speak the truth of God to you. Look at verses 8 and 9. Chapter 14, 8 and 9. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. He's speaking about God the Father. He's saying, show us God the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? You see, Jesus is not saying I speak, Jesus is not saying he speaks the word of God, although he does that. He's actually saying that he is the truth in such a way that when you see him, You are seeing God in some way as God is revealing himself, as God reveals himself through a book, through the words on a page, as he gives scripture, Jesus is saying, I am God revealing himself as a man to you now. And that if you've seen me, you've seen God revealing himself to you. Again, no prophet has ever said anything like this. This is what he means when he's saying he's the truth. He's not just speaking the truth. He is the truth of God. He says he's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, life is a, a, an amazing thing. And we love it when we can enjoy the good things of life. And there are many different expressions of life. I've never been to the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, 
up uh, north Queensland. I'd love to go there one day. But I'm sure you've seen those pictures of the reefs uh, in the Great Barrier Reef. And there's all the yellow and blue and orange and red fish and, you know, all these fish going around. And it's, and it's abundant in life with all these, these coral creatures and you know, all, all types of things. It's just, it's an abundant of life, isn't it? It's, there's all these expressions of life. But then, of course, you can go out to the deserts of Australia, and in the deserts of Australia, where, only, where it only rains every three years, there are frogs. There are frogs that live out there. And these frogs make an, a watertight cocoon, and they live in the ground, and they just hibernate for years. And then when the rain comes... The cocoon dissolves and somehow, and then, then they come out, breed, and do their frog things. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that they, we've got the, the reef where it's warm and wet and life abundant, and then you've got the driest conditions, and there's still these creatures living there. And then, of course, you've got human life. You've got human life, which is so ingenious and so magnificent as we are made in the image of God. We can do such amazing things and develop such things. But Jesus is not saying he's just another expression of life. right? Jesus is not saying you've got the Great Barrier Reef and isn't that great? You've got these, those frogs in the desert, isn't that great? And look at humans, aren't they great? He's not saying he's just a new expression. What he's saying is I am the life. Jesus is saying I am what gives life to the Barrier Reef. I am what gives life to the frogs in the desert. I am what gives life to you. And that's why he's the way, because he is the source of God's life for us. And again, no prophet has ever said anything like this. It's an exclusive claim that Jesus is making here when he says he is the way, the truth and the life. Now, if, you, if you're not a Christian, I don't know everyone here, uh, if you're not a Christian and your Christian friend has brought you along to church today, uh, maybe your Christian friend has annoyed you at some stage. Uh, I know Christians can sometimes be annoying, but maybe your Christian friend has annoyed you by saying, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Jesus is the only way to be saved. And you might have found that annoying, a little arrogant or something. I want you to understand that what your Christian friend is saying to you is actually what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying he can give you a room in God's house. So we're clear about Christianity. Let's get clear about Islam now. Now, in Islam, how you are saved is quite different. In Islam, you can do it to some degree. You can do it. Islam teaches that we are born pure. We're born pure and clean from sin. Sin has not corrupted our nature. It's not who we are. It's just something we may do. The goal of life is to stay clean, clean from sin. Some people do this well, like prophets. Others, not. We sin because God has made us weak and others lead us astray. What we need is guidance so that we can do good works. That's a bit of a summary there as to how Islam works itself out. 
Now, the idea is that you need to earn Allah's mercy and forgiveness uh, so that the wrongs that you have done uh, will be forgiven and you earn it through doing good deeds which show that your, your intentions are pure. So if you look at point A on your notes there, hopefully you've got an outline in front of you, point A on your notes... God has promised those who believe and do righteous deeds, they will have forgiveness and a great reward. So you do the righteous deeds. And then point B, then those whose scales are heavy with good deeds, they are successful. And those whose scales are light are those who lose their souls in hell abiding. So you see how it works. You've got scales, and if you've done enough good deeds, then you'll get paradise. If, if, if you don't, then you go to hell. Now, what this means is that it actually works itself out in different ways for Muslims. You see, in Christianity, God has done one thing to save us, and so there's only one way to be saved. But in Islam, Allah has not done anything to save you. And so what it means is there are different ways that you can be saved. So the first path... Is, is, would, uh, would be for people called the Mujahideen or the Jihadist, uh, who are martyrs. And so look at point C on your notes. If you are killed or die in God's way, pardon and mercy from God are better than what they collect. If you die or are killed, you will be gathered up to God. And so the, the, uh, one of these paths are the... Uh, for the, the people who are martyrs or for prophets, they go directly to paradise and God's presence. And so I've given you the reference here. And there are many references on this in the Quran. It's a, a major theme. Now, the other, the other path, though, as uh, most Muslims are not going to be martyrs in the way of jihad, in the cause of Allah. And so most other Muslims will do the pillars of Islam, that is, say the confession of faith, fast during Ramadan, go on pilgrimage, say the prayers and give money. And through doing these, that's how they earn their good points. So look at point D. And perform the prayer at the two ends of the day and in the early hours of the night. Truly good deeds remove those that are evil. Point E. If you make public your almsgiving, that is excellent. But if you conceal it and give to the poor, that is better. It will remove some of your evil deeds. What's interesting, though, is that somebody else can do good deeds for you in this path. So look at point F. Narrated Ibn Abbas, a man came to the prophet and said, O Allah's apostle, my mother died and she ought to have fasted one month, for she missed fasting during Ramadan. Shall I fast on her behalf? The prophet replied in the affirmative and said, Allah's debts have more right to be paid. So you need to do the good deeds, as many as you can, but somebody else can actually do them for you after you've died if, if you haven't done them. And then that way is the next path, and that is you've died. If we could have the diagram, please. Back to the diagram, if it's there. There it is. So that is you're in this world, you die as a, as a believer, you go to the grave, and then in the grave other, you've got your own deeds, other people can do good deeds for you, and then hopefully on, on the day of judgment, you'll have enough good deeds and then you'll go to paradise. The last one is point uh, G on your notes. 
Um, whoever said, uh, so whoever said during their life, none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and has in his heart good faith equal to the weight of a barley grain will be taken out of hell. And whoever said none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and has in his heart good faith equal to the weight of a wheat grain will be taken out of hell. And whoever said none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and has said in his heart and has in his heart good faith equal to the weight of an atom will be taken out of hell. And so that's the third path, and that is you die, uh, but you've still got, you still confessed that there was just one God. You die, you go into the grave. On judgment day, you still don't have enough good deeds, and so you go to hell, and then in hell you pay for a while, and, but you've still got enough, you know, you've just got a little bit of faith, and so then finally you go to paradise. So you can see there's these three different paths. And I guess for a Muslim, they may not, may not be sure which path they're on, um, but they're the paths there. And of course, if you don't have any faith at all, then you stay in hell forever. So I hope you can see that they're two very different ways. In Christianity, God has done something to save you and you're either saved or you're not. In Islam, Allah hasn't done anything to save you. And so there are these different paths that you can go down depending upon what type of good works you do. Now, Jesus is saying here that he is the way, the truth, and the life. How is it that Muslim leaders understand these words of Jesus? Because Jesus seems to be making an exclusive claim, and Muslims uh, believe in Jesus as a prophet, and so they're meant to believe what he says. So how is it that Muslim leaders interpret Jesus' words? Well, what they say is, yes, what Jesus says in John 14, 6 is true, but it's true for any prophet at the time of that prophet. This is how they they explain what Jesus says. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, they say, yes, that's true, but it's true for any prophet at the time of the prophet. So at the time of Moses, you'd have to listen to Moses. Um, At the time of David, you'd have to listen to David. At the time of Isaiah, you'd need to listen to Isaiah. At the time of Jesus, you'd need to listen to Jesus. And now with Muhammad, of course, you've got to listen to Muhammad. And so that's what they would say. And and, and that's what they do say. Now, that sort of sounds fair. That sort of sounds sort of fair. But when you start thinking about it a bit more, it it actually doesn't work. Come back to the first reading we had in Mark chapter 1, and you'll see this. Mark chapter 1, it says, uh, I'm reading from um, the NIV translation, so it may be a little different to your translation. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then Mark quotes an Old Testament prophet from 600 years before. And what does Isaiah 600 years before say? I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So what was Isaiah doing? Isaiah never said he was the way. Isaiah said the way is coming. Get ready for the future because God's going to make a way. Isaiah never said he was the way. He said the way's coming. 
And then look at John the Baptist, down in verse 7. John the Baptist said, and this was his message, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. That is, John the Baptist, he didn't say, I'm the way, I'm the truth. He said, Jesus is the way. And this is what we find, that when we read the prophets who were before Jesus, we see that they're always pointing us towards, come, towards God's coming salvation. They're, they're not pointing people to themselves. They're not saying, I'm the way. They're always saying, Jesus is the way. And so I realise that Muslim leaders may interpret the verse that way, but when we actually read it in context, the prophets don't say that. They're always pointing us towards Jesus. All right, for my last point now, I want to put forward why I believe Christianity is the true way. Because really, I've put forward what the Christian position is, I've put forward what the Muslim position is, but I haven't said... You know why one is right or why one is wrong. I've just put them both forward to you. I want to finish up by putting forward why I believe the Christian position is true. The reason for this is because of what the Quran is and what the Bible is. Now, what is the Quran? The Quran is what Muhammad recited in response to different situations in his life. It doesn't have any of the books of the Bible in it. It has stories from the Bible. So Muhammad sometimes retells those stories as illustrations for his own life. But the Quran is just what Muhammad recited. So it's across a 23-year period. And it's what he recited. And so when, when Muslims say they believe in Jesus, what this means is it's they believe in Jesus. What they believe about Jesus comes from what Muhammad recited in the Quran and in these other books called the Hadith. So when Muslims say they believe in Moses, it's not that they read the law of Moses, it's that they listen to what Muhammad recited about Moses, what Muhammad recited about Jesus, what Muhammad recited about all the prophets. Okay? So when Muslims say they believe in them, what they mean is they believe what Muhammad said about them. In this way, Islam is like the Baha'i religion. If you're familiar with the Baha'i religion, the Baha'is believe in Muhammad. They come in the 19th, 18th, 19th century, I can't remember now. Um, so they have their own prophet, a man named Baha'i Allah. And uh, the Baha'is, they believe in Muhammad. They believe in all the prophets. But they only believe what their prophet, Baha'i Allah, says about everyone else. Now, Islam's like that. It is a religion that believes what their prophet says about all the other prophets. Now, this is where the Bible's quite different. Here we go. Here's a picture of the Bible here. The Bible is not one book. It's not one book. It's a collection of many books from many prophets over about 1,500 years. It has the law of Moses, the books of David, Solomon, Isaiah, Ezekiel, uh, the gospel accounts, the books of the gospel... Um, it, it's 1,500 years. It's a collection of the books of all of the prophets. And so Christians don't actually follow one prophet. We actually read all of the prophets. And um, 
we can take that for granted as Christians when we're reading from the law of Moses or we're reading the Psalms of David. But you need to realise that's really odd. That's odd. Other religions don't do that. In other religions, it's one man who tells you what to believe about those people. In Christianity, we actually have to go and read Moses, read David, read Solomon. And so what Christians believe doesn't come from one prophet. It actually comes from all of the prophets. And what we see is that there is a unified message across all these prophets, the Jewish prophets, the Israelite prophets, the Christian prophets, the Christian apostles. There is this one unified message over 1,500 years. Different languages, different locations, different prophets. One unified message that God made us in his image. The the fatherhood and the son of God. That God dwells with his people. What have we got here? That humanity is corrupted by sin. That we need a sacrifice for sin. There's one story of redemption. Now for me, this is why I'm a Christian. For me, this is why I believe Christianity is true. Because it's not the message of one man... It's actually the message of all the prophets who point us to Jesus. That's why I believe it's true. To to conclude now, today we've considered the question of Christianity, Islam and the gospel. And we've done this so that hopefully you can make a decision and understand something about this better for yourself. If you're a Christian, I want to say to you what you believe is the message of all the prophets. Be confident in it. Don't give up on all the prophets. They have one message that comes to its fulfilment on Jesus, to Jesus, stick with it. If you're a visitor here today, then I want to encourage you to to have a look at this, to have a look at what the prophets teach, to, to, to come to understand what their message is and how they point us to Jesus. And I've got some material over there, or the church here could give you a Bible or something for you to be able to do that. You see, the prophets have this one unified message, and they point us to Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen.